Hey, welcome back to the Clay the Stage podcast. I'm Angela Lucier. I'm your host, and I am currently on tour. You are listening to my series, Tales from the Road, part of the Speak Up Tour 2018. And you're listening to Clay the Stage, a podcast about public speaking for women. And I am in the final days of my tour. And as I was getting ready to put together this week's podcast, I thought, you know what would be really interesting and what has been missing from this series is the speech I've been giving (laughs) along the road. So Monday night, I did a presentation in Worcester, Massachusetts for the Young Professional Women's Association and decided to record it. So today's episode is a recording of that talk called Discover Your Power Voice, and it's about helping the participants to tap into their power through reframing the way that they see public speaking through using their body in new ways when they're speaking, like realizing that body language makes a big difference in communication, and then also how to bring the right energy to a talk. So I cut out a couple parts of the presentation because when I was listening back, I thought, wow, this is really loud and hard to follow and not helpful for podcast listeners. (laughs) So I cut out an improv exercise we did in the beginning. And I want to just tell you what that exercise is because I did leave in the part where I explained why we did it. And the game is called Clap, Snap, Stomp. And it's a partner game that you play to get comfortable with your partner. It's a game that you play to learn about the value of practice, to redefine failure, and to just kind of be more present and in your body and do less anticipating of the next steps. So that's basically all you need to know about the game. And then I talk about why we played it. And later on in the speech, I ask each participant to partner up with the same person and give a one minute speech from the heart. And I cut that part out too, because it's really just a lot of talking and it's kind of hard to hear anything. So you'll hear that cut out. And at the end, I asked people to get up and give two minute speeches, but I cut those out as well, because otherwise this episode would have been about two hours long. And I figure you probably have other things to do today. So (laughs) that's, that's today's episode. I want to also say that the tour has been amazing. It's been just I think it's so hard to even talk about yet because I'm still in it. But next week, I'll be interviewed again by Amber and Lenore and my post speaking tour interview. So you'll get to hear more about my reflections and what a speaking tour can do for you as a speaker. And if you're a business owner, what it can do for your business, because I'm seeing a lot of benefits here. And so without further ado, here's my speech from Monday, April 30th in Worcester, Massachusetts called Discover Your Power Voice. Enjoy. today, Angela Lucier. She's an award-winning five speaker, five-time author, two-time TEDx presenter, and CEO and founder of the Speaker Sisterhood, which is a network of speaking clubs that help women discover, awaken, and create their voice uh, through the art of public speaking. Angela is also the host of Claim the Stage, which is a public speaking podcast for women and was rated number one on the inspiring podcast list by Forbes in 2017, so definitely check that out. She's a contributor to Huffington Post, and her work has been featured on ABC, NBC, Forbes, Virgin, and Entrepreneur. Her motto is, stop waiting, start creating. 
this presentation is part of the Speak Up Tour 2018, a month-long speaking tour around New England. You can learn more at speakersisterhood.com slash speakup. And tonight we also have Becca from Told Video, who will be shooting footage of the event. If anyone doesn't want to be in the video, please let her know and she'll try to avoid you. Um, <laughs> we'll be shooting some short testimonial videos in the hallway after the event as well, so if anyone can volunteer to be interviewed, that would be great. Um, it would help Angela out, and she'd appreciate it. And immediately following the event, Angela's going to do a book signing for us, so she has with her her new book, The Secret Life of Speaking Up Prequel, um, 30 Tiny Speaking Adventures. So if you're interested, it's $10 for a copy, and she'll sign it and um, hang out and um, definitely check it out. So, without further ado, Angela. Thank you. Thanks for having me. I came from Holyoke tonight, so excited to be in Worcester. So I want to start with a couple questions. Can everyone hear me okay? That's yeah. probably a good place to start. Okay. <laughs> um, raise your hand if you love public speaking. but you're not looking forward to it. <laughs> and raise your hand if you're just like seriously considering just running out the door right now because you're like, I have no idea why I came to this thing about public speaking. Cool. So welcome to The Secret Life of Speaking Out. Tonight we're going to talk about how when you can connect with your voice, you start to unlock parts of yourself that you didn't even know were there that can lead you to a new future. And we're going to do that through some different games. I'm going to talk about some different ways to reframe all the things that have to do with public speaking, like fear and perfectionism and being an entertainer and being you know, really great at it. And then at the end, I'll take some volunteers if you'd like to come in and come up and practice giving a two-minute speech. And if your stomach just like turned over, <laughs> it's voluntary. But it's also a great place to practice because we're all in this together. So to start, I thought we could do a game. So how about if everyone stands up? And you're going to need both of your hands for the game. And you're going to need to find a partner. So congratulations, you all just did improv. So this is like a double whammy workshop. and improv. I learned this, this exercise at a coffee shop with this, my improv teacher a couple years ago. We were just sitting there, and she goes, put your pen down, I want to show you something. And we did this game in the middle of the coffee shop, and I was so embarrassed. And she's like, yeah. <laughs> and then I started to learn what improv was and how it's all about redefining failure. And so I'd like to start off with that game. But the real reason I love this game out of all the improv games is I think it does such a good job in illustrating the public speaking journey. So when you're brand new to speaking, doing something as simple as counting to three can feel brand new. Like, so one, and then it just feels like you're trying to figure it out for the first time. Like even just stringing words together, we've been doing this you know, since we were kids, but it still feels hard. And then as you start to get more practice and you start to get more comfortable with your audience, and you make eye contact and you see them and you connect with them, it feels less like a chore and more like an opportunity to have a, an experience with other people. And then toward the end of the game, when we went back to the one, two, three, it felt really easy. And that's because we practiced. We learned a skill and we practiced it, and in 10 minutes, you became pros <laughs> at something you didn't even know before this workshop started. And I love that because the big secret is, is this, that public speaking is a skill. And you're not just born with it or not born with it. 
you, it's something that you can learn. And I think this game really illustrates that. Is that shocking to anybody? Because I hear people all the time who say, you're so lucky you were born as a public speaker. And I'm like, um, no, that's not what happened here at all. And I want to share that story because I think it's a good illustration of the secret life of speaking up and what I'm trying to get at with the work I'm doing. When I was at my first job after college, I was working in Springfield at a radio station at Rock 102 and Laser 99.3, the rock and classic rock stations. And I was that person who would come into work early and kind of like slink around like in the hallways really quietly, like put my head down, and I never made eye contact with anybody. And I would want to make my boss look good all the time. So I would do a ton of work, and I would kind of work behind the scenes. But when it came to being in a meeting, if someone ever said, does anyone have any ideas? I'd be like, let me write those down and slip them to my boss, and she can say them. Have they ever done that? Or you email them later. Even though you had them in the meeting, you didn't really want to say them out loud. <laughs> yeah, I did a lot of that. And I thought this was a great way to get through my work life because I didn't get in the way and I wasn't bothering anybody. But I started to notice really quickly that the people who were getting promoted were really good at advocating for themselves. And I wasn't getting promoted even though I was doing a lot of work. And then one day I made a terrifying observation. And that was noticing that all the leaders in my company had one trait in common. That trait was that they were amazing communicators. And not only that, they were really impressive public speakers. And you can imagine, that's a pretty terrifying observation for a shy person to make. <laughs> so you realize in that moment, like, oh my god, leadership goes hand in hand with public speaking. Damn. <laughs> if I ever want to be a leader, I have to learn how to speak. And I sat with that information for like a year and I kept like sweating about it in meetings thinking oh I could be running this meeting I could I have so much I want to say but I was so terrified of raising my hand that I could never get there and finally in a performance review my boss said so what do you want to work on and in the back of my head I wanted to say public speaking but I didn't want to say public speaking so I was like the website <laughs> like, I really need to work on website skills <laughs> and he's like public speaking. I'm thinking, how does he know this? <laughs> but it was really obvious because every time I had to speak, my face would turn red and I would stutter and I would talk like I had no voice at all. And he said, you should go to Toastmasters. Does anyone not know Toastmasters? <laughs> it's a network of public speaking clubs and they, you go and you practice giving speeches. But when he said Toastmasters, I had never heard of Toastmasters before. So I don't know why, but the first thing I pictured was 10 80-year-old men <laughs> in like a library, like a mahogany library with very ornate rugs and like Tiffany lamps. And they were all wearing tweed jackets with the leather patches. <laughs> they were like drinking brandy and like smoking cigars and telling stories about the war. So I'm like, I don't think Toastmasters is for me. He's <laughs> like, just go, just go to Toastmasters. So I go to a meeting at the Springfield Chamber of Commerce. It's just a basic room with a table, and most of the people there were twice my age. There were some women, some men. There was no brandy present. But when I got in there, I didn't really know what to expect, and I felt really embarrassed, kind of like I was the kid who like kicked my ball across the street. And I was kind of like, hi, I'm just gonna get my ball. And they're like, oh, welcome. I'm like, yeah, I wanna be a public speaker, I think. I don't know. And like, I, I was so embarrassed to, to be there and to like acknowledge this fear and to let them know that I felt that way. And they, they, they just come and sit down. And so I did, and I joined the group. And I went to meetings every other week for the next six months. 
and I never said a word. <laughs> I never gave a speech, I never gave feedback, I just sat and watched other people give speeches. But in my mind, I was learning public speaking, because I was watching people give speeches. And I was like, oh, so that's what you're supposed to do, or don't do that, okay, so I'm like taking tons of notes. And I'm thinking, this is a lot easier than I thought it was going to be. <laughs> and then after six months, the president of the club came over to me, and he said, we're going to put you on a schedule to speak at the next meeting. So you can imagine, immediately, I'm like, oh, no, 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 no. I'm not ready to give a speech. And the next thing he said changed my life, and it's something that I've lived by ever since. He said, you'll never be ready. You just have to start. And you can't really disagree with that statement. Because if you've ever done anything difficult in your life, like buying a house, having a baby, quitting a job, starting a job, starting a business, getting married, getting divorced, you're never ready. But when he said that, it was like a huge light bulb went off because I was actually waiting for the day I was going to wake up and be like, okay. saw me when I was 12, I was also six feet tall. <laughs> yeah. Um, and if you remember being six feet, or remember being 12 years old, you were probably like, I don't know, like this tall? And the boys were like, this tall? <laughs> and I remember being at the eighth grade dance and walking up to a boy, and I'm like, hey, do you want to dance? <laughs> devastation coming back. So I cried a lot um, as I was writing my four-minute speech, and I kind of started to think, do I even have anything to say? And like, who cares what I have to say? And I'm not actually a leader, and I'm not really a public speaker, and started to deal with a lot of those stories and beliefs. And when the day came that I had to drive to the meeting to give the speech, I remember tears streaming down my face, and having to actually pull over because I couldn't even see. And sitting with myself and saying, like, who do I think I am? I'm not this person. And what is this even going to lead to? I don't even know why I'm doing this. This is crazy. No one else there is like me. And having lots of stories. And somewhere out of nowhere, this voice kind of comes out of me saying, you're going to go to the meeting and you're going to give a speech. And it sounded like my mom. <laughs> and I said, yeah, I need to do this. And I got back on the road and I drove to the meeting. And I wiped the tears off my face, 
And I, when it was my turn, I got up in front of the room and I opened my notes and I held them out in front of me and I read them word for word. <laughs> and I never looked at the audience once. <laughs> and when it was over, I put my notes down and I looked up and everyone clapped. And all I could think was, oh my God, I didn't die. <laughs> and I went back to my seat that day and I felt proud of myself. But I also felt something else. I felt this opening inside of me. Like there was a new me coming out. And there was a new voice. There were new, it was new confidence. There was a new energy in my body. And I'd stayed in Toastmasters for five years, giving speeches, crying, giving speeches, crying. <laughs> and over time, I started to realize I actually do have something to say. And people want to hear it. And I actually like speaking. <laughs> I would have never imagined that that 15 years ago when I started this. I would have thought, this is something I'll get through, and I'll do it because I have to, because I want to make some sort of difference in the world. But today, I actually really love it. And in 2009, I started my first business as a career consultant and had no money for marketing. I mean, I had like $2,000 in my bank account, and I was like, I need to make this work because I can't get a job. I just die in a cubicle. So I need to like get out there. And rather than networking or just kind of trying to use LinkedIn, I decided to go out and give free workshops. I was still really scared of speaking, but I thought this is how I'm going to build my visibility and my credibility, and started to go speak at libraries and chambers and rotary clubs and colleges and conferences, and started to become known as a speaker. And one day, about a year after I started my business, I got a phone call from a local corporation saying, hey, we'd like to have you come in to speak. I'm like, oh, great. Okay, and they're like, how much do you charge? I was like, what? <laughs> <laughs> you pay for this? <laughs> I thought that was like Oprah and Tony Robbins, but it's like, you can actually get paid to be a public speaker, and I realized that's a whole new future. So in 2010, I started to become a paid speaker, and I wrote my first book, The Anti-Resume Revolution. I spoke at TEDx in Washington, D.C. And since then, I've given about 700 presentations. Wow. And I've written five books. And I've started the Speaker Sisterhood, which is a network of public speaking clubs for women. Because it's the thing that I wish existed when I was doing this work. And it didn't. And I made myself work in Toastmasters. But it wasn't the right, the right fit. The curriculum didn't match. And now I've built something that can help other women find their voice. And it's such a gift to be here today to be able to share this story. because. Back when I was giving my first speeches, I had no idea why I was doing it, but I was compelled to do it. And so if you're ever in that situation where you're like, I'm gonna just jump into this, I don't really know where it's gonna lead, but I should probably try it anyway, definitely do it. Because it could lead to something really cool like this. <laughs> and I can still remember driving some of those early speaking engagements at libraries being like, what am I doing right now? This is so crazy. <laughs> I guess I'm just gonna do this. And now I look back and I'm like, I'm, I'm really glad I did because it's, it's become something really special. And we started Speaker Sisterhood about a year and a half ago, and we have 28 clubs now around Massachusetts and Connecticut. Aaron Jansky is starting a club this summer, and um, there's going to be a club in Worcester. So I wanted to start with that story because if someone were to tell me years and years ago, public speaking is a skill that you can learn, I probably would have tried a little bit harder to get started earlier on, because at that time I still really believed, like, all these people were born this way, I wasn't, so I have to work even harder. But the fact of the matter is, I've, I've actually never met a, a public speaker who has said, yeah, I was born with a skill, like, I was just, like, with a microphone coming out, you know, <laughs> that was really easy for me, like, everybody struggles with it. 
And it just makes me feel less alone, and it makes me realize that this is something we all have to work on together. So tonight, I want to talk about how do you build courage to speak up in networking events, at work when you're at a meeting, or if you're in a job interview, how do you really advocate for yourself? Even at home with a spouse or your family, how do you say what you need? And when you're asked to go speak at a conference and you feel like you're not an expert or you're not the person who should be giving that talk, how do you say yes anyway? It's, it's a really big deal, especially for women. A lot of women feel like, I have no business standing in front of a room because I've only been doing this for one year, or there are people here who know more than me. But the fact of the matter is we all have our own perspective, our own ideas, our own creativity, and our own energy, and we all have a reason to be standing in front of a room talking. So we should never take that away from ourselves because that connection is what helps to build new experiences, new ideas, new inventions, new businesses, you know, new, new development, so we should never stop ourselves from that. So what I want to start with is, if anybody knows what percentage of communication is verbal? Any, any ideas? 30%. 30%? That's one guess. Any other guesses? 25. 25? I think it's just 10. 10%? 10%? What was it? Yeah. 10%? So this is communication. 7% of communication is verbal. Isn't that crazy? Especially because we spend so much time thinking about how am I going to present this idea? How, I, want to, I want to sound funny. I want to be witty. I want to sound smart. But only 7% of what people are hearing is that are the actual words. So what's the other 93%? Is body language. Body language. 55% is body language. And 38% is your tone of voice or your energy. It's huge. So tonight we're going to talk about all three categories. We're going to talk about the mind, which is the verbal piece and kind of putting yourself in the right frame of mind. The second is the body. How do we prepare our body so that we're not like standing in front of a group and like, no, I'm fine. I'm fine. <laughs> and then the third part is, your, is the spirit, like your energy. How do you bring the right energy to a conversation or a presentation so that when people see you, they feel engaged and they want to hear more? Has anyone ever watched a really boring conversation or presentation? Yeah, what was that person doing? <laughs> Maybe, were they moving? They were not moving? Like, from reading from paper and not just engaging at all, like looking at you or anything. Yeah, monotone. Monotone. Yeah. yeah, no energy. So some people are excited about their subject, but they're not connected to it, so they can't actually transfer that energy to the audience. So I'm going to teach you how to do that tonight. So that no matter what topic you're speaking about, you can always bring love and energy to it, and it'll get your audience excited about it, too. Mm -hmm. Does that sound good? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay, cool. Just making sure. Because if, I mean, I can go. <laughs> <laughs> so the first thing I want to start with is reframing. And I gave you all a handout. And at the top of it, there are these four boxes that say four reframes. And if you want to take notes, you can write them in there. By the way, I'm always asked the question, is it okay to drink water when you're doing a speech? And the yes. answer is yes. You're a person. You're a person. <laughs> People always want to be robots up here. You don't have to be a robot. So the first thing I want to reframe for you, because we're going to start with the mind part of the mind, body, spirit, is public speaking itself. When you think of public speaking, what do you think of? 
Does anything come to mind, or does your mind just go completely blank and you're like passed out? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think about like that person being an expert, which is like a scary element to me because, like you said earlier, like, you don't feel like you are the expert or have all the knowledge, so I just need them to be an expert. Okay. So public speaking means being an expert. What else? Yeah. Educating. Educating. Yep. Anything else? Yeah. Don't fumble with your video. Don't fumble. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I just thought of a PowerPoint presentation. PowerPoint, yeah. Like PowerPoint. a lot of people use PowerPoint. It's like running. Yeah, PowerPoints definitely go hand in hand public speaking. Erin, did you have a? I was going to say like TED Talks, like stuff that's really exciting and the speaker is really dynamic and interesting. Yeah. So does it feel like a lot of pressure? Yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Immediately, kind of feel like, wow, someone just placed that elephant on my shoulders. Great, thank you. I'm looking forward to this. <laughs> well, what if we could change the way that we think about public speaking so it doesn't feel like pressure? Does anyone do volunteer work or community service? Yeah. Why do you do that? Feels good. It feels good. It gives back. It gives back. It's fun. It's fun. So, what if public speaking could feel like that? <laughs> I know, I'm skeptical. <laughs> but let's say that public speaking is actually being in service to others. It's not about being an expert. It's not about being perfect. It's not about not f you know fumbling up on stage. It's just about being in service to the people who are sitting in front of you. Does that feel a little easier? And you don't have to be an expert to be a public speaker. You have to be one step ahead of the people you're talking to. Just one, not 500, just one. Because that one step is the thing that is the value that you can give to your audience. So if you can reframe public speaking as being in service to others, it helps to make the whole experience more about connecting and not being that, that person who's like the entertainer, I'm the educator, I'm the inspirer, I'm the motivator. It's like, that's a lot of pressure. I, when I start thinking about, I have to entertain these people, I freak out. It's just not, it's not a good place to come from. Instead, I think, how can I help them? How can I be in service to them? And that feels much better. So the second thing to reframe is a subject that goes hand in hand with public speaking, even more than PowerPoint. It's fear. <laughs> Does anyone know what number public speaking falls on on the list of fears? One. Right above death. <laughs> Isn't that crazy? So people would rather be in the casket than giving the eulogy. <laughs> it doesn't have to be like that. So I want to talk about fear for a second because that fear is actually really natural and normal to feel because it's part of our evolution. Back when we were like millions of years ago and we had to actually like be together in order to survive not being eaten by a hairy animal in the woods. Um, being together was what helped us to, to stay, you know, surviving. And whenever we'd separate ourselves from the pack, we're now out in the open and we're much, there's a much greater chance we're, we're going to become dinner. Because now that predator comes and sees us and we're small and by ourselves and thinks, oh, I could eat that. Right? And this is crazy because it's like, this is not part of today's day and age. But that part of our brain still exists in us. It's the amygdala, it's the oldest part of our brain. And it's the thing that's activated every time we hear the words public speaking. <laughs> because it separates us from the group. And our brain thinks fight or flight, stress, 
stress, stress, get back with the group, you need to survive. But luckily for us, this is no longer a real danger. And I know this because, as I mentioned earlier, I've given over 700 talks and I've never once been eaten. <laughs> like, not even a bite on my ankle, like no, nothing. And I, all my friends who are public speakers also have never been eaten. So I'm going to teach you how to deal with the fear because we have this terminology in our, in our world about fear. Like, you need to punch fear in the face and overcome your fear and like smash your fear. It's like, that's not actually possible. <laughs> it's still in there. It's actually there to keep you safe. So why don't we, instead of trying to crush it, we befriend it, and we invite fear to our talks and to our, our any kind of speaking opportunity, and we just recognize fear is always going to be there. So let's stop having this adversarial relationship with it, instead be friends with it. Hey fear, we're going to give this talk. It's going to be great. Um, and instead of you being the boss, fear, I'm going to be the boss, and I'm going to give you something else to do. So I've named my fear Frank, and Frank loves video games. Loves video games. So I got an Xbox for Christmas, the latest one, and I set him up with an Xbox off to the side for like an hour, and he's just like playing a karate game. He's fine. And then it gives me the space to then go and do the things that are scary, because he's preoccupied. And a friend of mine who's a writer, you can imagine, she deals with her fear every day, because she sits down at her computer to write and immediately thinks, I'm not a writer, what do I think I'm doing? Why are people paying me for this? This is crazy. I got and so she realizes, oh, my fear is running the show right now. Let me get in charge and babysit that fear. And she's decided that her fear is actually a baby because it comes up at random times that don't seem like fear is actually an issue. And she like pretends to have a baby in her hands, turns around, puts the baby in a car seat, a fake car seat, buckles it in, puts on a DVD, like she's in the car. She's like, okay, you're going to watch Toy Story for the next two hours, so now I can write. And this seems like kind of a weird thing to do, but it works really well because it helps you to realize, no, I'm in control of my fear. My fear is not in control of me. And we are friends and we're going to work this out, but I'm the boss. And when you can be the boss of your fear, you're unstoppable because nothing ever stands in your way. You're not afraid of asking that person on a date. You're not afraid of asking for a promotion. You're not afraid of asking for more money from your client. You're in control. I'm going to go do that because I can and I will. <laughs> so that's the second thing to reframe. The third thing to reframe is that moment right before you're going to say something. When the voice in your head gets louder and louder going, you're not really going to say that, are you? That sounds so weird. What if no one likes it? What if it's wrong? What if someone says, that's a bad idea? When you start having those thoughts, you have to once again be in charge. And instead of speaking for the outcome, you speak for the adventure. <laughs> and this is a big deal. Because we're often speaking because we want validation, we want recognition, we want to be seen as smart, incredible, but what if instead we just spoke because we had something to say, and it doesn't matter what anyone else says about it, and we're speaking for the, the adventure, and I call it an adventure because when you're on an adventure, you're not on the adventure because you're like trying to get to the end of the adventure, you're on the adventure because you're trying to have fun while doing the adventure. <laughs> And so if we can rethink it a little bit and say, hey, whatever happens here is okay, because I have something I want to say. That feels okay, right? Feels a little better than, I need to say this because I need my boss to like me. It's like, it's hard. It's hard to follow. So reframing that moment before you speak from being outcome-driven to adventure-driven is really helpful. And the fourth thing to reframe is you. I don't know if any of you would refer to yourself as courageous 
or bold or outspoken. Would anyone say you're any of those things? Oh, I want to share a story with you that totally blew my mind, and I think it's a really good example of how our beliefs and our stories can really shape who we think we are. I was at a women's conference in Boston last summer, and I was in the audience, I wasn't speaking, and the woman giving, giving the presentation put a slide up, and it said 25 values that leadership, or traits of leadership, 25 traits of leadership. And she said, go through the list and pick the three that best describe you, and then you're going to tell the person sitting next to you the three you picked, and you're going to tell her a little bit about yourself. So I picked creative, friendly, and kind. And then I turned to the woman next to me, and I told her my three words, and I told her about what I did. And she just looks at me, she's like, what? I thought she was going to fall off her chair. I'm like, I don't know what. <laughs> I don't know what, what happened. She's like, why didn't you pick bold? I was like, oh, I don't think I'm bold. She's like, I've only known you for 30 seconds, and you're one of the boldest people I've ever met. <laughs> I was like, I am? And then we kind of, the workshop ended, and we left, and as I got in my car to drive home that night, I thought, am I bold? Is that possible? And I'm like, well, what have I done that's bold? I'm like, well, I guess I wrote those books, and I speak a lot, and I started a business, and I bought a house, and I got married, and yeah, I guess I'm kind of bold. And uh, yeah, like I pulled in my driveway, and I'm like, yeah, I'm bold. <laughs> and then the next morning, I woke up and I like whip off the sheets. I'm like, okay, what does a bold person wear? And then I look at my closet and I'm like going through everything. I'm like, no, no, this isn't gonna work. This isn't gonna work. I'm like, it was like all of a sudden I became a brand new person because a total stranger told me that I'm bold, that I knew for 30 seconds. I'm like, how crazy is that? I needed someone who's never met me before to tell me something about myself that I should have known all along. Isn't that wild? I bet you that all of you are bold and strong and courageous. And even if you don't define yourself that way, when you drive home tonight, think, is it possible that could be true? And I bet you it is. And if you really embody that, being bold and being adventurous and being courageous, that when opportunities show up in front of you, you're not even going to think twice about whether or not you should do them because you're like, yeah, I'm bold. That's what bold people do. So that's <laughs> it. It just becomes way easier because you're not like, my And all of a sudden, these like decisions are no longer decisions because it's just like, yeah, that's what we do here, okay? <laughs> so that's the fourth thing to reframe is yourself. What do you want to be? Because you're probably already that person, and you just need to step into it. And that makes communication a lot easier than hoping one day maybe I'll become that person because you can become that person right now. So those are the four things you're thinking about in your mind that will help you to have stronger communication in any forum, whether you're in front of a group or one-on-one -on -one with people. The next thing I want to talk about is the body, body language, so important. And I'm going to have you all stand up, because it'll make this a little easier. Apart. 
And our hands on our hips. Who does this look like? researcher and she has the most popular TED talk of all time. I was just saying, I was like, I listened to that. I was like, I wonder if it was you because I, I just listened to it. I didn't look at the person. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. She yeah. was in Springfield yeah. a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, she's at a women's conference. And so she and a team of researchers wanted to see like, if people did this before doing something difficult, would it help them have better results? And so they studied people before they gave a talk, before taking a test, before doing a job interview, who did the power pose, and they found every time the people had better outcomes. Mm -hmm. Because what this pose does is it lowers your cortisol levels, which is your stress hormone, and it raises your testosterone levels, and it makes you feel more powerful. Mm -hmm. And when you walk into a situation feeling powerful, you are powerful, just like before. Like, you walk in feeling bold, you are bold. So this is one version of the power pose. The second one is like this. You can try this one too, so you can see if you like better. It's like Superman pose. I like this one better. I just like feel my neck and back a little more too. I feel like this one I just naturally stand like that to support my own neck. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so it's like, like how do I do it all day? So if you're ever asked to speak at a conference and you're there all day long and you have to you're going to speak at the end of the day, you can just run into the bathroom and just do a quick power pose in the bathroom, and I'll say I do them all the time in the bathroom, um, and it's really weird because the stall comes up to like right here. <laughs> <laughs> and then like five minutes later I'm on stage, and they're like, that's the weird, oh, that was just so <laughs> So you can do this one for two minutes, and you know, whichever one you like better. So bathroom is your friend, bathroom and power posing are like soulmates, so don't be afraid to try it. And tell your coworkers about it, like do it all together before important meetings, and if you're gonna have clients coming in, just like do some power posing. It's fun. It's really easy. So the second thing I want to teach you is about breathing. Has anyone ever been in the middle of a sentence and you run out of air? <laughs> yeah. That happens because you're doing shallow breathing, and shallow breathing often happens when you feel anxious or scared. It's part of that fight or flight mechanisms. Like you're trying to get air, but you're not taking deep enough breaths. So I'm gonna teach you how to breathe. We're doing a lot of fundamentals. <laughs> but the breathing is before you speak. So like when I'm at a conference, after I do the power pose, I go back to my seat and I do this breathing exercise. And I do it 10 times in a row. And today we're just going to do it four times in a row to get sense of it. So you're going to close your eyes. And I want you to just notice if there's any tension in your body, any stress, any pain, a headache, anything like that. And if you do have anything, I want you to focus on it and breathe into it for this exercise. If you don't have any pain, just breathe regularly. So this exercise is breathing in for four seconds, holding your breath for eight seconds, and then breathing out for seven seconds. And we're just practicing, so don't feel that you run out of air or something. <laughs> so breathe in, one, two, three, four, and then hold for eight, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, and then breathe out for seven. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. In for four. One, two, three, four. Hold for eight. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Out for seven. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. 
in for four. One, two, three, four. Hold. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Out for seven. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. One more. In. One, two, three, four. Hold for eight. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. And out for seven. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Before you open your eyes, I want you to just notice if you did breathe into any tension or pain, how that feels now. If you release any of that, if you're feeling calmer, and then take one final deep breath, and then you can open your eyes. How was that? Nice. We're all asleep, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> A little lightheaded. <laughs> so what this does is it helps to reset that shallow breathing, and it also gets you out of your head, because so much of that pre-presentation is mental, and if you're thinking, oh, I don't want to sound stupid when I make that joke, I hope I don't fall when I get on stage, did I get toothpaste on my shirt? You're having all these thoughts that are distracting you from just getting on stage with a calm, easy flow. And this breathing exercise helps you to just clear all those thoughts out and kind of have an empty, empty mind in the sense so that you can just focus. The third thing I want to show you about body is relaxing your face. Does anyone ever get a tight jaw when they're stressed out? <laughs> yeah, you feel all tense and then it's really hard to, um, to talk. <laughs> because your jaw is like, where are you going? So I'm going to show you how to relax that. And this is something I learned from a voice teacher who works with actors and singers, and they do this before they get on stage. And I call it the Muppet noise. It has a more technical term. I don't remember it, but I go with Muppet noise. <laughs> it sounds like this. So we're going to do that together <laughs> for about 20 seconds. And the point is to just feel that release in your face. And if you laugh, that's fine. It, laughing is acceptable. It's just a chance to try something out and to try and relax a lot of all the muscles that are up in your neck and your face. Okay, ready? Like you're about to talk about it. looks like you're going to fall over and it looks like you have to go to the bathroom. <laughs> <laughs> right? 
it's distracting. And, and I do feel like I'm going to fall over. I really have to work hard not to. So if I'm distracted by, not by my legs and by my lack of foundation, my audience is also distracted by it. And standing like this doesn't do you any favors for looking powerful. It makes you look really small. So instead, you want to stand just like we were in the power pose with your feet a little wider than foot distance or hip distance apart, and you just stand like this. So you want to have 50% of your weight in each foot. You might notice you have a tendency to lean one way or the other. And then once you have 50-50, you want to put 60% of your weight in your toes. So you're leaning forward just slightly, and then you're going to bend your knees a little bit, just so they're not locked. And then this is how you stand to do a presentation. And your, your muscles are activated, and you feel really strong and really grounded. And I saw a woman I was giving a TED talk a couple weeks ago. She was standing like this, but she was going like this the whole time. It's like, that is making me crazy. So don't, don't do that. It looks like you're like a swaying palm tree. <laughs> and it doesn't look powerful at all. And I think a speech coach told her to stand with her hands like this, so she was like this the whole time. <laughs> I don't know what we're doing here, but I really, I'm just going to listen to this TED Talk because I can't handle what's going on. <laughs> but you can stand like this when you give a talk, and if you only stand like this when you're giving a talk, it's going to be hard to remember how to do it, you're going to have to think about it, so practice it when you're not in front of people. Like, I do it when I'm in line at the grocery store. I just, like, let the cart go, I put all my stuff down, and I just stand like this. I probably look crazy, but it's really great to just practice this. And when I'm washing dishes or cooking, I also stand like this. So do it when you're not in front of people, and it'll help to just make it more automatic. As far as your hands, I'm always asking what do you do with these things. These are tools that you can use to help tell your stories. So if you were to say like four people showed up, this helps to create a visual of what you're talking about. Or if you're like, there were only a few people there, or there were a lot of people there, or there was a lot of growth, there were apples, there were oranges, like always use your hands to help tell your story. And if there's no, nothing to do with them, then you can just use them to gesture naturally. The last thing you want to do is put your hands in your pockets. Does anyone know why? What? It looks like you don't care. It, it, that's part of it. She said it looks like you don't care. Mostly it looks like you're hiding something. And your audience might not consciously know it, but subconsciously they're wondering, like, what's in there? What's in the pocket? What are you doing in there? Is there a weapon in there? Like, is there a baby possum? So you want to keep your hands front and center and use them to tell your story because it makes you friendlier and makes people trust you more. So we can sit down. <laughs> I actually think I'm going to have questions. Sure. Um, I'm Italian. I talk with my hands all the time. My father was giving a presentation on stage. It was the first time he'd been presenting where there was a camera on him that was projecting behind him because he had uh, 1,500 people in the audience. Um, and he gesticulated, and his hand came at him from the camera view, and he ended up falling off the stage. <laughs> um, how much is too much hand gesticulation? Well, the best way to know is to watch a video of yourself giving a speech, and you'll know mm -hmm. when you see it. You'll be like, wow, that's really distracting. So I should probably tone that down. And that's the best way, is just to see yourself. Because a lot of times we think we're doing things one way, and then we see ourselves like, wow, that's really not at all what I was seeing. <laughs> and then you can use that insight to be a little bit more controlled. <laughs> you don't want the jazz hands, yeah. but you also don't want to just stand with no gestures. So that's helpful. So the next thing I want to talk about is uh, the spirit piece of speaking. 
is huge. Remember we talked earlier about boring monotone people? Those are the people who don't bring the spirit to the top. So a question you can ask yourself first before you're going to say anything in any kind of environment is, why does this matter to me? This is a great place to start. Why does this matter to me? And I was doing this talk on the Cape last week, and a woman came up to me afterwards, and she's like, yeah, I hear what you said about why it matters and all that. I work in water filtration. <laughs> she just stared at me. I was like, I guess, I'm guessing you don't like that. <laughs> and she said, no, I don't, but I have to work there to pay the bills. What I really want to be doing is teaching yoga. And I was like, well, why? That's a good thing. And she said, well, I really like making people feel healthy. I said, all right, well, let's talk about water filtration. What's the point of water filtration? And she said, to make the water healthier. She's like, no. Oh. <laughs> um, do you feel like the water filtration is helping people feel healthy when they drink it? She's like, oh my god. So if I think about why I love yoga and helping people feel healthy when I give a talk about water filtration, I might actually seem interested in it. It's like, yes, exactly. So if you, if you have the type of job or if you're ever tasked to give a talk on a topic that you don't really care about, find a way to connect something you do care about with that subject so you can bring the right energy to it. I was asked a couple years ago to give a talk about social media, like a six-week series on social media. And I'll use social media because I have to, but I don't like it and I don't really like talking about it. But I signed up to do it because I needed the money at the time. <laughs> And then I'm like, oh God, I don't want this to be a huge waste of time for everyone, so how do I make this interesting to me first? And I realized I love telling, helping people tell their story. And I can help them tell their story on social media. So I made the whole speech about telling your story on social media, and then occasionally I'd be like, oh yeah, you want to post like twice a day. And I'd like throw that stuff in there. <laughs> but we have to think about that from our own perspective, because if we don't bring the why, then our audience we're taking advantage of our audience and we're wasting everybody's time because it's not connecting. And if we're not connecting, then everyone's just sitting waiting, wondering when is this going to be over? I'm making a grocery list in my head. Did I clean the litter box? These are the things that are going through everyone's head, and that's a waste. So make the most of the time by thinking about why it matters to you first. And the second thing is to bring love, like actual love, to your topic. Someone who does this really well is Jimmy Fallon. Can I ever watch him? Every single show, he looks like he is having the most fun in the room, right? Sometimes I see a clip come by on my Facebook newsfeed, and I'm like, I'm just going to watch that because I want to see if he's not the one having the most fun. And he is, every time, every single time. He's been doing that show for years. His joy for what he does is contagious. Do you ever watch a clip and just automatically feel better? You could be that person who has that contagious energy because you're infusing love into everything you do. And when you share that topic with other people, they get excited about it. They can't help but get excited about it because you're so excited about it. And in fact, the first speech we give in speaker sisterhood meetings is about love. And the idea of that speech is to try to transfer your love for something to the audience. So a couple weeks ago, I was in a meeting and a woman got up to give her first speech and she said, I'm gonna talk about why I love farmer's markets. And I was saying to myself, like, yeah, I like farmer's markets. <laughs> and then she gave a speech, and I was like, I love farmer's markets. <laughs> like, when is the next farmer's market? I was like mad that it was still snowing. I'm like, I have like two months before the next farmer's market. This sucks. Because she loves farmer's markets so much that I love farmer's markets. <laughs> I've been going 
simple by just infusing the love that you already have for something and then giving that gift to your audience. Because that's the best gift you can get is that real, genuine enthusiasm and love. So what we're going to do next is I'm going <laughs> to have you find something that you love. And um, I'm going to have you close your eyes. If you want to just like sit comfortably for a second. So just give me like 30 seconds. Really quick. And close your eyes and I want you to think of something you love. This can be big or small, it can be a person, it can be a thing, a place, whatever you want. Just think about it for a couple seconds. And then I want you to ask yourself, why does this matter to me? And I want you to really feel that love in your body. So I have it. And then you're going to go with your partner that you worked with in the beginning. And I want you each to give a one-minute speech to each other <laughs> about that thing you love. And I want you to infuse the love and just kind of let yourself feel that, that goodness that comes with whatever you picked. And I'm going to give you one minute. It's very short. It's very simple. And then I'll tell you to switch and you'll have the other person go. Everyone got it? The second is infusing love, because love is powerful, and when people can feel what you're saying, it's more powerful than hearing what you're saying. Like, no one ever looked at a pie chart and just, like, became yes. cheery. <laughs> but if you can tell a story about why that, the data on that pie chart matters, people will get cheery, right? So those are the two things that help to add power. And the other two things that make you more powerful is asking yourself two questions. One is, who is sitting in my audience? Being able to relate to the people you're talking to and shifting your content so it matches what they need. And it's not just like who's in your audience, like job titles. It's like knowing what they care about, knowing what they're afraid of, knowing their challenges, their needs, their goals. All of these things are important because you help, it helps you get a profile of this person and then it can help to inform what you say to them. The second thing that helps you add power is to ask yourself the second question, which is, what problem am I solving for them? And I run a speaking school, and I say the number one most popular topic that the women who come to my school want to talk about is confidence. And they're like, I'm going to talk about confidence. Okay, cool, that's a good topic. But what problem are you solving? I'm going to help them be more confident. But, like, what's the problem we're solving? <laughs> we have to figure out what the problem is. Like, not being confident is leading them to not be able to get the job they want. You know, we have to think about that. So, starting with what's the problem I'm solving helps you to create a goalpost. Then you can work backwards to fill it in with content that matches that goal. And it's really easy to know whether or not what you're saying matches your goal because you can just say, "Well, does this thing get get me to this point or not?" And if it doesn't, you just get rid of it. And I'm sure you've been to talks where there's like meandering, a lot of meandering. Like, what are we getting at here? I have no idea where we're going. That person doesn't have the goalposts in mind. So you can make it really effective for other people if you have that endpoint and then you work backwards. So those are the four things you can do to be more powerful on stage. 
And that last question that's on the worksheet is why does speaking up matter to you? This is a really important question to ask yourself. Because it helps you to recognize in that moment, like when you're going to go on your adventure and raise your hand or say something, like what's the other reason for it? Am I trying to be a role model for my daughter? Am I trying to speak up for my department? Am I trying to prove to myself that I can do it? Am I trying to say, yes, I am bold, and I'm going to show myself that every time I do this? So having that answer to that question will help to make it easier each time you do it, so you've got that motivation clearly identified. So I want you to take a second to just think about that. Why does speaking up matter to me? Why is this important? And you can just write it in. You don't have to say it. But I think it's, just, it's, a, it's a really important thing to be thinking about in a workshop like this, where we're talking about how to be powerful how to use our mind, our body, and our spirit, but why? Wouldn't that matter a little bit more, or be a little bit more specific to what you're speaking about? Like if I'm speaking at work, I have a different reason than if I'm speaking to my husband. True, yeah, you may have different motivations. Yeah, you can have a couple, we'll give you that. You can have like five. <laughs> but yeah, just to have that conversation with yourself, like why does it matter? And it can always be different or it can be just one core reason. But yeah, that's a good question. Mm -hmm. So before we go into the experiential part of the evening, um, <laughs> does anyone have any questions about anything we covered tonight or anything we didn't cover on speaking? And yeah, I had a question while we were doing our breathing exercise. Does it matter if we breathe in through our nose and out through our mouth? And I was thinking about that while I was doing it. Yeah, so does it matter if we breathe in through our nose or our mouth? No. Okay. <laughs> I like to breathe in through my nose and keep my mouth closed and just I feel like it's, I get deeper breaths that way, but it's a personal preference. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. When I've had to give talks at conferences, I get at the beginning I get very breathless because I'm nervous. Yeah. But I practice my talk a lot so I know what I have to say. And so I end up like speaking my way through this very breathless moment where I know I don't sound good. But I feel really I just don't really know, I don't think the time to stop and breathe. Do you have any tips on how to get over the fear of like, I'm not talking right now, everyone's looking at me and I'm not really talking. And I'm just going to be breathing and that's going to look weird. <laughs>
10 seconds. And then she's like, all right, cool. So, and then she like goes right back to the thing. And like, that was awesome. She just like, she just did the thing she needed. And everyone else wanted it, but we didn't really know how to ask for it. Like, is it okay to say, like, my question is, can we scream? Is that, is that okay? So she gave everyone permission to do the thing that she needed and it really worked out well. So when you're in those moments of like being breathless and you feel like you're gasping for air, just say to the audience, let's all take a deep breath together. It's a totally comfortable human thing to do. And it actually connects you with them more because they see that you're, you're just a real person. You know? You're not, you're not um, the expert, the robot, the, like, <laughs> the android at the front of the room. And what if so I said there's 0% chance that I would actually do that? <laughs> <laughs> because I'm a woman presenting to a room full of men who are developers and architects. There are some women in there, but they're like 95% men. And it's hard to even get in front of them in the first place mm -hmm. and feel like they're going to think I have anything useful to say. And the thought of saying, should we all take a deep breath together? It might actually work, but in my head, there's 0% like, there's chance that I would do that. Do I want to practice it? <laughs> in front of a room full of women? Yeah, sure. Just to see what it sounds like. Maybe it sounds weirder in your head than it does when you say it out loud. Come Trying to connect with the audience without stumbling and you know. 
Well, I use a method that I created called the three circle method. So I grab a piece of paper and I just draw three circles across it. And then I think of what are the three main points I'm trying to make in this top. Because you don't want to make like 50 points. You want to keep it really succinct, like mind, body, spirit. You know, keep it really simple. And then when you have your three main points, you then think like, how am I going to illustrate this point? Like a story or an example? And then actually draw a picture of whatever it is. So I like if I were to tell the story about becoming a public speaker, I'd probably have a giant, like a nope, an ogre. Like I would just draw a picture <laughs> in that first circle and say, like, oh, that's the story I'm gonna tell. So you kind of have to memorize your stories, but the three circles help to anchor you back to what your main points are. And if you just look down at a picture, it triggers the memory instead of trying to read words. Yeah. So when you're trying to read words, you lose the connection. Yeah. So you're like, oh, now you say that word for word. And one of the reasons I don't use slides is because it takes away the, the spontaneity of the moment. And I, I like to reorder things and just like be with the audience instead of like, well, now I have to go back to what the slide says, even though like no one seems to really care about this part of the presentation. So it keeps it more free-flowing, and it gives you the space to just come back to it without feeling like anchor to an exact word or sentence. So you could try that. <laughs> is there another? Yeah. What about conference calls? Which I feel like is like public speaking but cheating <laughs> at the same time. But I do them a lot and I feel like there's so many awkward moments just because you can't see people and you don't know. Like someone goes to speak and then someone else is going to speak at the same exact time. And if you've, like, if you've done any webinars, if you have any tips or... Yeah. Well... Conference calls, I think that's just what you're talking about is inherent because you can't see each other and yeah. you know. So that piece of just talking over each other is probably going to happen. But when it is your turn to talk, you should grab your phone and take out your voice memo app and record yourself when you're on the conference call so you can hear what you're doing. Because a lot of people say a lot of ums. They do, they have like a lot of filler words. There's one woman who told me she always says the word essentially, and when she recorded herself, she's like, I said essentially 37 times. That's only like 10 other words. <laughs> so it helps you to notice your own style and what you want to work on, but that other part is just part of how it's called. Yeah. Yeah, and if you're courageous enough to listen to that recording of yourself afterwards, it's probably so bad because I change. I like sounds not that I'm not nice, but I'm like always like extra nice and like speak really differently. I feel like when I'm on a conference call than than I normally would. Yeah, just be yourself. Just be your not nice self. You know, I am that now. to go to that or I so rarely have to speak in front of people and I'm like 
you're a human being. Don't you speak to people like all day? Like, I don't understand. But I feel like it's really hard for other people to want to go to things like this. Yeah, I mean, anytime the words public and speaking are together, it's like you kind of have to capture people and put them in a car that's locked and drive. <laughs> <laughs> so you have to, like, really be able to highlight the benefits of what being a public speaker can bring. And I'll just share some of the stories that maybe you can bring back to your team. There's a woman who joined the Speaker Sisterhood because she just wanted to feel comfortable speaking at conferences. And after three months of being a member, she realized that when she was sending quotes to prospects and potential clients, she was quoting her rate at double what she was before because she started to realize, wow, I actually am worth more. I actually do a great job and I have something to offer and I am good at this and I'm undercharging myself. Mm. And then when she started to charge double, her clients never blinked an eye. And they're like, okay, I'm just signing off on it. And so when you build confidence in your voice, you build confidence in other areas. Mm. And one woman who wanted to be a keynote speaker, it was a dream for 10 years, and she always just said to herself, I'd love to be up there, I'd love to be motivating people, it's something I could probably never do. And after six months, she went and spoke at a conference as a keynote. And it was not only great for her, but it was great exposure for her company to have that name on the cover of the program and have everyone hear the story about her work and what they do there. So you can always share that story, and I don't know if your team in HR goes out and speaks at conferences, but it's such a great way to build visibility for the company and also to recruit more people. Yeah, and there are a lot of tech companies that are now hiring women and training them to be public speakers so they can go out and speak on panels, speak at trade shows, and recruit more women because Let's face it, like women are like sick of seeing a guy at a booth being like, yeah, I want to go up, whatever. I don't know how to talk to <laughs> <laughs> like to have that skill helps them to expand their own career possibilities too, because now they're building their brand, their personal brand, and saying no less often. And also, what I've learned when I first started speaker sisterhood, you guys, I thought that I was starting a club of about public speaking. Like I was going to help people be better public speakers, but it's actually not that. We use public speaking as a tool for self-discovery. And when you can think about it like that, that this is actually something that helps you see inside yourself and recognize how powerful you are, how what you have to say matters, and that you can do more than you think is possible, it starts to open up a whole new world, which is why it's called the secret life of speaking up. So if any of the women who work in your department feel stuck or they feel like I can never be a leader or I'm just here doing my job, share the story that when you find your voice, a whole new life opens up and emerges in front of you. And that's the beauty and that's the power of standing in front of a room and saying, hi world, this is me. This is who I am. See me and hear me. Because it is the scariest thing you can do. <laughs> but then when you do it and you go, hey, I didn't die, you think, wait, I could probably do that again. And again and again. Yeah. Um, how do you, I don't necessarily know if you have this problem, but I tend to word vomit when I'm nervous, mm -hmm. and things just continue coming out, like the story of my father, or like, like that had no bearing on my question. <laughs> um, how do you stop that? Well, some of it is practice, and just getting comfortable with being in a situation. The other part is asking yourself, where am I going with this? Before you open your mouth, like, what's the goal? And then you can work backwards to fill it in. So like, what, what question am I trying to ask? And then like, try to just get there without all the <laughs> side routes. <laughs> but yeah, it just really comes down to practice. And I wish there was this magic pill. I could be like, here you go. You will never do that again. <laughs> <laughs> that would be amazing. <laughs> <laughs> but 
but a lot of it is just committing to doing it a lot, and then you'll start to tighten your presentations and you'll tighten your comments because you'll just get used to it and it won't feel so scary and like, I gotta fill all the space with words. <laughs> you know, just say the thing. <laughs> you have a question? Yeah, my question was more on preparation. Um, like, how much time can you be too prepared for your presentation? And then, like, how much time should you put into preparing for, say, you know, a 30 minute? That's a guess for yeah, it's a hard question to answer. As far as being too prepared, I've never heard of that. Okay. I think that would be really hard to do. Unless you were like memorizing the words for Yeah. Yeah, I know some speakers do that. They will actually memorize an hour long talk. Mm -hmm. I would never do that. That <laughs> <laughs> sounds really hard. So I think you have to find your own style and you have to find a way that works for you for practicing. And when you start to really feel the words in your body and you feel like you've got it and you feel like this is it, you can stop practicing. But if you're just reading words off a page and you're trying to memorize the order of things, that means you probably need more time practicing. But it is, it's like, it's almost like your morning routine. Like I bet if I asked everyone in this room, what do you do before work each morning? I bet you'd all say something different, sort of similar, but your own style of it. And that's the same when it comes to practicing and writing speeches. Like everyone has their own style. And like, I've tried so many times to write a speech like a week before I, I'm giving the talk, and I just procrastinate, and I just stare at the paper, and I'm like, well, I should probably wash dishes, and, like, I can never make myself write a speech unless it's, like, four hours before, <laughs> and I don't know, it's like the pressure somehow makes me go into high, like, focus zone, and then I can actually put it together really quickly, practice it on the car right there, get there, and I'm like, okay, I'm good to go, but you have to kind of figure that out for yourself, yeah, yeah. Um, we have this meeting, and I'm going to I'm new to the company and I still can't really figure out exactly like the intricacies of everything. And we have a meeting usually once a month with two of the vice presidents of the company. And they're like super nice guys, like really down to earth, but every time it comes off on time I'm getting really nervous because I'm not exactly sure what I should say, what I should say, and they want me to be honest, but I'm like I get really nervous, so I like talk myself out of saying what I really like to say. So I don't know like yeah, well that goes back to being in service. So if you run that, whatever your honest feedback is, through the being in service machine, and say, is this being in service to them? And if the answer is yes, then you should say it. Okay. Even if it's difficult, because it will be helpful at the end of the day, and it might be hard for you to say that to them, but it could have a positive outcome. So if you kind of go from that frame, it will be helpful. Yeah. And it's 30 tiny speaking adventures. So I give 30 different ways to practice using your voice besides doing public speaking. So if you want to just get more comfortable asking for what you need, talking to your friends in different ways. One of my favorite adventures in here is thinking of three friends you have and then thinking of one reason why you really love that friend and then picking up the phone and calling that friend and saying why you love them. So I think often we forget to do stuff like that and it can feel scary and vulnerable, but it's what connects us. So there's 29 other adventures like that in here, and I have it for sale for $10, and I'd be happy to sign it for you if you're interested. Also, I want to take a group photo, right here, <laughs> and 
Where did Becca go? I'm here. Oh, there she is. Becca is going to shoot video testimonials out in the hallway after this. So if you had a good time today and if you'd recommend to others, we'd love it if you'd stop and just say a sentence or two so that we can share this kind of work with other women. And also we have a mailing list and gift bags back there. Just make sure that you grab the gift bags. If you're interested in learning about Aaron's Speaker Sisterhood Club, that will be starting up later in the summer. Then you put your name down so we can let you know about it. Speaker Sisterhood is a place for you to be among other women who are learning this important skill, feeling empowered, feeling supported, and just having a place to share your story. It's so special. And if you have dreams, your dreams can be reality when you find your voice and you realize that, hey, anything is possible, and that secret life emerges. So thank you so much for having me tonight. And I uh, look forward to seeing you all again soon. Well, there you have it, my speech from Monday night. I hope you got some good nuggets out of there and that you're able to think a little bit differently about public speaking. You've probably heard some of that stuff on my podcast in the past. I have addressed some of it in some of our Q&A episodes. And now I'm heading to another speaking engagement in Hudson, Massachusetts to talk to the Metro West Women's Network with the same topic and the same talk. So I'm out of here and that's it for this week. I'm looking forward to having our wrap up conversation next week. And if you have any questions that you'd like asked on that podcast episode, please send them to me at Angela at speakersisterhood.com and your question may be featured on the podcast. So as always, my friend, stop waiting, start creating. I'll see you next time.